you are a single, I believe it will help you. If you're a teenager, it will help you. If you have single friends, I believe it can help you. I want to consider some biblical insights into singleness and even a little bit into marriage that can be overlooked, forgotten, or simply not known. Some believe that marriage is God's ultimate. And you know what? It kind of is in one way, but it's not the ultimate for everyone. I've said it over the past few weeks that marriage is all about completing one another, not competing with one another. Because I see so many marriages where people begin to compete instead of understanding God brought them together to complete. What you need to hear, especially if you are a single, I'm not saying that singles are incomplete unless married. I am not saying singles are incomplete if they are sleeping single in a double bed. I'm not saying that at all. Because you can be very complete as a single in the person of Christ Jesus. You don't need someone else to completely you, complete you. But when you step into this precious gift called marriage, it is meant to have a completing element to your life. Do you understand that? That's not just semantics, but that's, the, that's a godly principle that bears on us. You're not less than as a single. I mean, just consider when it comes to marriage some of the things that are true in our culture today. Since the 1950s, the divorce rate has risen 240%. One out of 2.5 marriages are going to end in divorce. And friends, I love the book of Proverbs. It packs a powerful, practical punch. No holds barred. It is so practical for everyday living, and it deals with so many different subjects, especially, well, marriage, single life, and just living, and integrity, and character, and children, all of those things. And Solomon, when he wrote a lot of his Proverbs, was very clear, very practical, you know, and, and if he was writing today, he'd say things like this. Listen, uh, hey, if you, if you shank a golf shot, don't worry about it. You know, it's not a big deal. If you lose a family treasure, you know what? You can be replaced. If you, if you have a fender bender, it can be fixed. You mess up a test, listen, it's not the end of the world. You'll recover from it. But I know he would continue to say this because he really makes it clear when this was written thousands of years ago. He says, but when it comes to areas of marriage, family living, living as a single, be careful. Because you may not always get a mulligan. There can be things that can happen in your life that can affect you for not only here, but years to come, and you don't even know it, understand it, or realize it. He says it can bring pain that will cause things to spiral in your marriage and head it south that you don't even know are the results and ramifications of things that could have happened. Things happened years earlier. The Bible's clear marriage is for keeps, and there's high stakes involved in it. And, and the writer of Proverbs uses some pretty picturesque language when he describes it and helps us to understand it. I mean, just consider Proverbs fifteen seventeen. It says this, Better a bread of crust shared in love than a slab of prime rib served in hate. Now think about that. I mean, if you've ever struggled in marriage, you know the pain of sitting in a nice restaurant with a great steak 
steak being brought in, but you're sitting there and you can't enjoy it because the person that you are in relationship with, you might as well just be total strangers now. Incredible pain. He goes on to say, ratchets up a little bit in Proverbs 21. It's better to live alone in the corner of an attic than with a quarrelsome wife in a lovely home. He says, you know what? I'm going to take this up a notch. You can live in a confined space, crowded area. That's going to be bad, but it's not nearly as bad as living with someone who's quarrelsome, contentious, nagging in the nicest of digs. And he begins to, to, to compare and to contrast this whole thing of what marriage can be like, and it's written by what the Bible called the wisest man, Solomon. You know what his bottom line was? Do it right. Because if you, this is one thing you don't want to mess up in your life. There's three decisions that really affect our lives, friends. And number one is the God we're going to serve, the mate we're going to marry, and the job we're going to do. Those are three critical things in our lives that have long-term consequences. And sometimes, you know, and I, I say this fairly frequently, sometimes singles forget that there are a lot more unhappy uh, married couples than there are unhappy singles. And the pain and the depth of degree of unhappiness is so much greater. Because, see, when you're alone and unhappy... You can begin to change that. You can do some things. You really can set yourself. Oh, there can be a yearning to want to be married. That's good. That's right. But you can change you. And you can work with you. But when you get into this relationship called marriage, and God says, this is for it. This is it. Then you've got to work with a second person. And see, a bad marriage really doubles the issues. It doesn't diminish the problem. Because now there's two thoughts. There's two people involved in this process. And I want to, listen, I love being married. But we're going to even look today where we find out that, listen, marriage is not the ultimate. It's not always the ultimate. So I want you to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 7 with me. And we're going to walk through this. Because it's got some principles for living. And, and it talks very directly, very specifically about a single lifestyle. As Paul writes to a group of friends at the church at Corinth. And he begins to, they, they wrote him a letter and they asked him some questions about faith, about life, about culture, about sex. And so today we're going to kind of look at some of those questions and what Paul had to say about, specifically about these relationships. And he specifically addresses singleness and marriage here. And there's even a really cool statement here where Paul says, you know something, I'm not even saying this by command. It's almost as if he's saying, you know something, this is, this is what I believe God would say, but I'm not speaking for God, but understand it's in the Bible. And I'm not here to shock anybody today, but I'm going to talk about a couple of things that probably most of us have never heard talked about in church. And I'll backdrop that in just a few minutes. Well, verse, chapter 7 of 1 Corinthians, verse 1, says this, Now for the matters you wrote about, it's good for a man not to marry. What? Does that sound weird to you? Well, but since there's so much immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. Well, then he begins to talk about the importance of this sexual relationship. Paul's very clear about how sex is supposed to operate and happen in the context of marriage. 
The Bible doesn't shy away from it. We talked about it a few weeks ago. One of the most erotic books you can ever read would be the Song of Solomon. uh, If it was really translated in the language of how we would understand it today. Well, then skip down to verse 6 and it says this. I say this as a concession. Here it is. Not as a command. I wish that all men were as I am. How's that? Single. I wish that all men were as I am, but each man, listen to this, has his own gift from God. One has one gift, one has another. What's what's that mean? Well, he's saying here, some have the gift of singleness, of celibacy. Others have the gift of marriage. Both of them, hear me, are gifts. Now, to the unmarried and the widow, I say, verse 8, it is good for them to stay unmarried as I am. But if they cannot control themselves, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Now skip ahead, if you would, down to verse 25, because he he begins to... I'm just going to look at some principles here. He says, now about virgins, because he talks a lot more about marriage and relationships there. Now about virgins, I have no command from the Lord, but I give a judgment as who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. Because of the present crisis, I think that it is good for you to remain as you are. Are you married? Do not seek a divorce. Are you unmarried? Do not look for a wife. He's saying here that because they were starting to say things like, okay, well, if I'm married to an unbeliever and I'm a Christ follower and there's not peace taking place, well, then maybe I should just get out of this. And he's saying, no, no, no. Stay where you are. Work it out. God has a sovereign plan and purpose for you. Verse 28, but if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But those who marry will face, listen to this, many troubles in this life. (laughs) And don't say amen. I want to spare you this. See, the Bible, I love the Bible. It's pretty pretty direct. What I mean, brothers, is that the time is short. That's a great verse. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they had, had none. Those who mourn as if they did not. Those who are happy as if they were not. Those who buy something as if it was not theirs to keep. He's talking now here about this eternal perspective. That you're not focusing on things. Focusing on relationships. Those who use the things of the world as if not engrossed in them. For this world in its present form is passing away. Have an eternal perspective about everything. Possessions, relationships. Verse 32, now I'd like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs and how he can please the Lord. That's the proper attitude if you're unmarried. But a married man is concerned with the affairs of the world, how he can please his wife. (laughs) Amen? Amen. Amen. That's a good thing. And how he can please his wife and his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world and how she can please her husband. I am saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. Now, there's a lot of stuff there, and I just want to unpack a few quick principles from that. Number one, if you're a single, or if you are around single people, make sure you keep your perspective on singleness. See, in verses 6 and 7 in the message, it says, I'm not, 
I'm not, uh, I'm not understand commanding these periods of abstinence or singleness, only providing my best counsel if you should choose them. Sometimes I wish someone were single like me, a simpler life in many ways. But celibacy is not for everyone any more than marriage is. God gives, listen to this, the gift of the single life to some, the gift of married life to others. Friends, everything in our culture tells us that being in relationship with someone is, is what? Is going to make us happy. Remember the words of Jerry Maguire? It's what completes us. You go to school. You find a job. You buy a car. You get a dog. You buy a house. And if you're married, you will live happily ever after. Oh, you're not happy? Oh, you just need a relationship. You've got to find the yin to your yang, the, the, the peanut butter to your jelly, the perfect puzzle piece that fits you. You just need someone to complete you. What if? What if that really isn't the way it's supposed to be? What if the movie studios missed it? What if the romance novels don't have it right? What if what you're looking for isn't a person? I'm not, he's not, we're not diminishing marriage here. But can your true joy and fulfillment be found in another person? I, I don't know. I don't think so. If you can't have joy and fulfillment in who you are and what you're becoming, that is a bad, bad way to ever go into a relationship. Because you'll be looking them to fulfill and to complete some things in your life that puts a lot of pressure on them that they may not be able to do. Well, so what does the Apostle Paul says? He says, it is good. It is good that you not be married. You got two choices. Door number one, get married. Door number two, don't get married. And guess what? Both of them are good and both of them are right. And so we as married couples have to be careful that we don't put pressure and always ask the singles, oh, when is this going to happen? What are you going to do? Are you going to find somebody? Maybe God's got a greater purpose for them than what we think it is. Because Paul says that's good. He's not diminishing marriage or elevating singleness. He's just saying, listen, have the proper perspective on both. Because singleness, not having that relationship with another person, can be a gift. And I know there would be singles sitting here today and say, that's not how I see it. And that's all right. That's all right. You don't have to see it as a gift. What I want to challenge you to do is to keep your perspective on it in the midst of it. See it as a gift now as you're working through the process until that day that you have somebody that you say, this is who I'm going to give my life to, live my life with. You see, Paul's breaking new ground here with this statement. For the Jewish people, the focus for them was what? Well, the Bible. It said, be fruitful and multiply. See, a good Hebrew, what did they do? A good Jewish person, well, they got married. They had kids. Why? Because they wanted to extend their legacy. It was taboo to be single. Wow, does that sound familiar? But isn't it interesting that some of the most powerful people in the New Testament were single? John the Baptist. Jesus. Timothy, Paul, many women that followed Jesus 
we're single. And again, we're not elevating. We're just saying, you know what? There's something about learning to be content in the situation that we are so that we can be preparing for where God's going to take us. And Paul's saying, I know that that culture is telling you, you ought to get married. You should be married. And there's times when you go home to an empty house to a single double bed. And I know you feel like you're supposed to be married. But listen, it is good where you are right now. And I want to say to our singles, and I said this whenever I talked to them, don't ever feel like you have to act like you don't want to be married. In this place, if you want to be married, that's fine. Admit it. Don't give it the old, I don't care. And if you don't want to be married, be, feel free to say that too. Just Learn to be content and to grow in your contentment. Keep the perspective on where God has you at this present time. And in the process, I'm gonna, there's a few things that I really want to challenge you to watch. And the first thing is monitor your purity. You've got to monitor your purity. This is, this is tough sledding. This is, this is tough for married people. Paul says this at the outset. In the first two verses, he says, now getting down to the questions that you asked me in the letter to me. First, is it a good thing to have sexual relationships? Well, certainly. But, underscore this, only within a certain context. It's good for a man to have a wife and for a woman to have a husband. Sexual drives are strong, but marriage is strong enough to contain them. Hear that? There's borders, there's boundaries to contain them and to provide for a balanced and fulfilling sexual life, listen, in a world of sexual disorder. I'm going to just say something here, and some people don't agree with this, but can I tell you something? I'm really convinced, other than probably the Internet, uh, our culture is no worse than cultures past. You know, we always bemoan, and oh my gosh, and oh, we're so bad. It's really not. You study the culture that Paul is writing to here, and I'll just mention one thing in a few minutes, but it's, it's, it was just as bad as we are. It's, this, it's all the same. We just have greater access to it, and we hear about it. Paul is clear. Singleness is good. But he says, you know something? If you can't handle yourself and stay away from sexual immorality, get married. Marriage is the right choice for you. If you have to get married to avoid sexual immorality, well, go ahead and do it. Because, see, Paul's primary concern is not only a good marriage, but that we stay pure and holy before God. What do you mean pure and holy? Simply separated unto him. That we're not out there living, well, like the Bible would say the pagans did. See, God knows the human heart takes good things and can make them idols and make them negative things. Things like a successful career that can become an idol. A love, a, a love that you have for something or someone. Material possessions, even family. Your kids can turn into idols, little gods. And Paul knows that our hearts, we put them in our hearts and they become the center of our lives and it becomes very unhealthy. We think those things begin to give us significance, prominence, Security, safety, and fulfillment. 
And we think if we just had this or that or the other, it would take care of it, but it never does. They become an idol. And it's anything that we place over and above God in our life. Anything that absorbs ongoingly our heart, our imagination, well, it really goes before God. And I want you to catch this. A romantic relationship can captivate your heart as well. And you believe that that's what's going to give your life meaning. And ultimately, it can be the very thing that breaks your heart. Now, it can give your life meaning. But you always want to keep God at the center. See, Paul's writing to a people here that are immersed in cultural thinking like ours. You know what that is? Turn it loose tonight. Corinth was a city that was built on instant gratification. People who lived in the surrounding areas, like Athens, you know what they would do? They would go to Corinth for a good time. Corinth was literally Vegas before Vegas became Vegas. No kidding. They had temples there. They had, a, they had one prostitute, Aphrodite, and a temple called Aphrodite that they would actually go there and have these big sexual orgies as part of their worship. It was a debauched city, totally free of, in immorality. And they even, uh, I read somewhere where people would go there and they'd say, well, let's go get Corinthianized. You know, let's, let's go, let it happen. Let's take care of ourselves. And I want to talk about a couple of things, not for shock value, but because I believe it needs to be addressed in positive, God-honoring, sensible ways. Because relationships can become idols. Sexuality can become an idol. And if there's one of the few things that can get us off track, loved ones, it is our sexuality. And, and if you don't agree with me talking about this, I, I respect your right. But this is serious stuff. If you sit where I sit, you'd go, oh, I think I got a different perspective. Because see, as Christians, this is what we do in the church. We want to bury our head and say, well, it's going to get taken care of. Someone's going to talk about it. Yeah, but never the right people. I was golfing recently with one of the guys in church, and we were on the sixth hole. And uh, this guy was a, he was a Big Ten football referee. It's one of the strongest football conferences in the nation. He is an arena football, professional arena football referee. And as happens, a great guy, we were just talking on the sixth hole. We're waiting for uh, uh, Marty to shoot, and he looks at me. He goes, what do you do for work? And I said, well, I'm a, I'm a pastor over in Martinez. Oh, good. And, and then he goes, and, and it was probably within about five minutes, we put it off, we were walking off the green, he kind of turns to us, and he goes, and, and Marty said, well, we both have two boys, and he had two boys, five and seven. Guess what the first question was? He goes, tell me, guys, how do you, what do you, and Marty goes, have the birds and the bees talk? He goes, yeah. And I just said, you, 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 you do it when they start talking about it or sooner. See, how many parents want to know that? Because how many parents have abdicated that? 
Because they really don't know how to talk in frank, fresh, fruitful, right terms to their kids about one of the most important things in their life that they begin to deal with, sometimes at 8, 9, and 10 years old now. But we are so intimidated by the subject, or so scarred by it, or so afraid of it, that we won't deal with it. And and, and so we'll let everybody else talk about it, and then we'll come off as, oh boy, oh, oh, shouldn't talk about that in church. Really? See, one of the greatest struggles for singles growing up, and they take it into marriage, is this whole area of sexuality. Hear me, loved ones. I'm speaking today as a spiritual father. I'm speaking to you as single, to you singles, and I'm speaking to you as parents. God's guidelines for our sexuality are never, never meant to be prohibitive or punitive, always protective. He knows the way. He created it. He loves it, and he wants us to love it and to enjoy it. And the issues that come about when it's not cared for and nurtured properly in this area are catastrophic. And we want to bury our heads and not talk about it. This is probably the second issue that I deal with most often in marriage counseling. Because everybody just thinks that it happens. See, Proverbs 6, 27 and 29 says this, you cannot carry hot coals against your chest without burning your coals. You cannot walk on hot coals without burning your feet. The same is true if you have sexual relationships with another man's wife. And it's not just, the the principle goes beyond just adultery, but it talks about fornication, sexuality outside of marriage. Anyone who does this is going to be punished. Does that mean God's up there with the bony finger going to say, I'll show you? No. It's not that God is the hound of heaven coming after us to make our lives miserable. It's that he has set things in motion and in place that just happen as a byproduct. God isn't up there saying, I'll show you. He's up there with tears going down, his eyes going, oh, I tried to tell you. I tried to warn you. I tried to save this beautiful gift for its higher purposes. Take this tree over here. Isn't it pretty? I love it. See, there's all this soil right here. It's damp because it's, it's moist and it's nurturing it. It's feeding it. It's taking care of it. And as long as it's in here, look how, how nice this tree is. It is, well, it's, it's soil and it's, it's nurturing it. But look how quickly we can do this. See, you take it out of that environment and you start throwing it around, guess what? Well, that becomes dirt. Now we've moved from soil that nurtures to nobody wants to go lay on a bed that's just got dirt all over it, do they? You see, sometimes we forget that God's ways really are best. And when, 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 when the dirt of, get, begins to just kind of get spread around haphazardly where it doesn't belong, it's just dirt. It's no longer nurturing anything there. It's soiling. And this is why trust in God is so important. 
I mean, let me just give you one example. And, and listen, I, don't, I can't make this stuff up. I was golfing. I, I actually do a lot of counseling on the golf course. I, I think a lot of men, that's how, you know, it's kind of like, oh, we're hitting a golf shot. Oh, shank that. Okay, let's talk, you know? <laughs> I had a guy a number of years ago, part of our church. We're talking, and he says, Terry, you won't believe this. I used to have the greatest sex life before I was married. With my wife now. And I go, "Uh uh-huh. Do you want to tell me something? You know, I don't want to probe, but... He goes, well, now don't say anything about this. I won't, but he goes, this is what happened. We weren't Christians. And we did all these things and had all this fun and added all these things to it and had fun doing it. It wasn't bad stuff. It was just stuff. But what happened was after we got married, we came to Christ. And my wife has not been able to distinguish between what we did before we were married. And she sees that as impure now that we're married. And I said, well, if you'd like to give me some examples, go ahead. I'm not asking, but, and, and, and some of the things that he said, I go, well, there's nothing wrong with that. Absolutely. See, what happened was, is because of this early relationship that moved from soil in her mind to dirt, even though she understood forgiveness, she had a really difficult time making this transition sexually. Now, hear me. It doesn't happen for everybody that way, but it happens to enough that I deal with and talk to, well, I just wouldn't roll the dice with it, loved ones, and especially if you're a single. Because I've dealt with a lot of couples, too, that have come out of that, and God has touched them, and God has healed them, and God has ministered to them. But for some reason, there are those who just can't get beyond it. And it begins to sully the sexuality after they're married. Hebrews 13 says this, that the marriage bed is honorable, keep it undefiled. And one of the ideas behind that is that it not get stained and dirty with stuff that we bring into it. Hear me, if, if you've had a sullied, soiled past, hear this very clearly. God can touch you, heal and forgive. But you have to work with them on it. Now, let me just quickly hit another thing. And this is where I run a big risk. I want to talk about the M word. Especially to Christian singles. Masturbation. Male. Female. Adolescent. Is that a sin? Is anybody uncomfortable? Not even a nervous laugh. (laughs) Most churches are because it is treated as a very taboo topic. Surveys are clear. 94% of everybody growing up masturbates. The other 6% are lying. (laughs) 
I'll tell you where this hit me. I was sitting up here at Manjabeni Restaurant a number of years ago. One of my sons, I won't tell you who, was sitting there because I used to take my sons out for breakfast or for lunch. He was probably about 12. He was our youngest. I uh, often refer to him as the mouth that roared and uh, because he would say anything and do just about anything. When we're sitting there and he looks at me and he goes, I mean, this is pretty random. We're just having like this father-son bonding time. And he looks at me in the middle of the restaurant, lunchtime. Dad, have you ever masturbated? <laughs> I grabbed him. I took him out, spanked him. I said, don't ever say that word again. No, I didn't. Just. I just tried to be real calm, real cool. Son, where'd that question come from? And I did. I said, yes. I said, tell me, where does that come from? Why, Why are you asking that? And so we began to have this big discussion around it. See, as a Christian single, this can be, listen, one of the most guilt-inducing, shame-causing feelings of unworthiness that a person can get involved in. It's something that we've got to be careful not to be dogmatic on. Because the scripture is silent on it. But I believe there are principles that we can share to help deal with the complexity of this. Why do I bring it up? Well, because in the last month, people saw what I was talking about, and I've had some singles come to me and said, Pastor, what do we do with this? And I pastor everybody. And this is important, because if it's on two people's mind that come to me, I know it's on more people's minds. And unfortunately, the church is silent on it. They won't talk about it. They won't give help in it. And so people walk around shuffling their feet like they're, you know, I'm a bad person. And then you begin to drag that into a marriage relationship. And what does that do? It causes more shame, more brokenness, and some other things. So loved ones, I... Uh, my, my, my intention is never to offend, but to be real and to talk about the things that are on some of your minds. That's why I'm a spiritual father, because I'll talk about it. See, the Roman Catholic Church and some Protestant denominations, they've attempted to equate the sin, or they've, they've, they've tried to make masturbation a total sin. And they'll use this proof text. It's found in Genesis 38, 6 through 10, about this guy, his name is Onan. And you're going to have to just give me a few minutes here, okay? Because this is kind of important stuff. But this Onan, he, he, there, there was a tradition. It was actually a command uh, in, 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 in the Old Testament that if a husband died, the brother would come in and impregnate the wife so that she would have a lineage from that family. She, he would impregnate her, and that would literally become her son and be seen as the brother that died his first son to carry on the lineage. Well, in this one, that was a command of God. That's how he wanted to propagate and continue the family lineage going. Well, Onan came in, and it says that he dropped his seed on the ground. Instead of impregnating her, he pulled out and didn't. So, a lot of churches, a lot of people... 
say, oh, well, that's, he's talking about masturbation there. No, he's talking about a disobedient guy that said, I'm going to do it my own way, and I'm not going to follow the prescribed pattern. That has absolutely nothing to do with masturbation. Okay? I just want you to know that, because there's people in churches who will tell you that. Just exegete it, look at it, read it, and you'll realize it has to do with the historical happening. So don't let somebody say, oh, don't do that because of that passage. That's called proof texting. Actually, it's called bad exegesis. Bad interpretation of Scripture. Nothing to do with that. Now, others feel that masturbation is, is acceptable in order to relieve unabated sexual tension or to avoid sexual immorality. But the catch is that there be no lustful thoughts connected to the act. Matthew 5.28, Jesus said they were not to look lustfully at a woman. So if you're a man or you're a woman... It means that you're not to commit adultery in your heart. In other words, stay away from pornography, fantasies, and illicit materials. I believe, I believe, I'm going to say it like Paul, that you know what? God gave us this desire, and we've got to be able to control it. The key is, is that we don't use pornographic materials and fantasies and illicit stuff that we learn to control our mind in the process. Now, very important. I'm not saying, I'm not, I'm, you've got to seek God on this. But I want to get it out of the closet and, and I, I want to remove the shame and all this other stuff and give principles, especially as parents. Listen, you've got to talk to your kids about this at some point. Dads, you've got to talk to your sons. But we have to be careful because this can become a habitual, compulsive activity. Simply that begins to be a habit out of self-gratification. Remember what 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 19 says, you are a slave to whatever masters you. I will say this, I do not believe that habitual masturbation is healthy. And we have to be able to explain in very common terms what that means to our kids growing up. And I'm telling singles today. Because what happens is a couple of things. It can become such a habit that it gets drugged into marriage. I was sitting in a men's group when I was a youth pastor. And we used to meet on Friday mornings with a group of guys. And one guy stood up one day. And he said, I just got to tell you, I've been married for 16 years. And I've masturbated every day. And you're married? And he began to unpack it and tell us that it had become such a habit when he was growing up that he drug that into his marriage. You know, and he began to share how it began to diminish his ability to connect with his wife at an emotional level. And I want to say that to the singles. Don't let it become a habit that is habitual just to do it. Parents, I want to say, communicate with your teenagers at the appropriate time, or maybe preteens, that you begin to give them understanding to this whole process. I see too many parents go off on their kids in this area. What does it do? It produces shame. It produces guilt. And sometimes that can affect our sexuality down the road. 
Mr. Conservative James Dobson of Focus on the Family says this, It is my opinion that masturbation is not so much an issue with God. It does not cause disease, it does not produce babies, and Jesus did not mention it in the Bible. I'm not telling you to masturbate, and I hope you don't feel the need for it all the time, but if you do, it is my opinion, you should not struggle with guilt over it. I'll stop there. My concern, loved ones, is that we pull this and we deal with it in a godly, consistent, healthy way. Third thing is this, be preparing yourself. As a single, be preparing yourself. In case you haven't figured it out yet, relationships between men and women, they're not easy. We spent a lot of weeks on this, haven't we? That's why somebody writes and says, when are you going to finally be done with this? But it's a big deal. Relationships with the opposite sex aren't easy, are they? There's not just do these three things and it's all going to work. Notice what Paul says in, uh, in, in this chapter. He says, marriage involves you in all the nuts and bolts of domestic life and in wanting to please your spouse, leading to so many more demands on your attention, the time and energy that married people spend on caring for and nurturing each other. The unmarried can spend in becoming whole and holy instruments of God. He says it takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of work. Would we not all say amen? Amen. Amen. I got to move on. I'm not going to show this. Okay. Watch this video clip. I want you to see this little fun thing. It's cute. Don't take it wrong. I have to take Joe to the airport this summer. Really? Like, I got a better hand to drop him off at 7. Hey, I'm Jake. Hi, I'm Sarah. Nice to meet you. <laughs> Whoa. Uh, what are you, uh, what are you doing? You know, no, no touching before the marriage, right? Because um, touching just leads to bad things. <laughs> Hi. 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 Uh, my name's Mark. Uh, what's your name? Oh, I'm Sarah. Nice to meet you. Uh, it's nice to meet you. Do you love kids? Uh, I never really thought about... Okay, because I love kids. I mean, I want to have tons of them. I mean, the first one, naturally, I'd name Adam. And then uh, if they're boys, you know, like uh, Cain and then Abel. Well, maybe not, you know, Cain wasn't that great, but uh, whatever. Hi. 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 I'm Sarah. Nice to meet you, Sarah. Well, you know what the Bible says about it. If your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. Well, uh, I need my eyes to drive, so... I just wear this when I know there's going to be women around. How beautiful you are, my darling. Your eyes behind your veil and doves. Your eyes like a flock of goats descending from Mount Gilead. Hi, I'm Bruce. Let's pray. Dear Lord, Father God. Tell me if this is the girl that I'm going to marry. Please make it clear right now if I'm going to marry this girl. I would love, love to, uh, to shake your hand, but um, that was inappropriate. I'm, I'm sorry. Um, and then some of the girls, 
I'd like to name like Eve and uh, Ada and Zella, and you know I'd want to stay away from like Jezebel or uh, Bathsheba. I don't think they're very good. Well, uh, you know I'm no King David. I mean, look what happened to him when he looked at a woman. Tell me, you whom I love, right now, make it clear, Father God. Do you go here? I was also thinking like Oklahoma. I, I know it's not biblical, but I think it'd be a really cool name to name a daughter. You know, like Oklahoma, the musical. It's it's one of my favorite musicals ever. Your lips are like a scarlet ribbon. Nice to meet you. Did you hear that? I'm gonna go call mom and dad. Torture. Skip this and go get a cup of coffee. Yes. Hey, hey, mom and dad are on the phone. They want to welcome you to the family. Hold on. What was your name again? My counsel to singles: keep it real. Be preparing yourself. Get away from all the religious stuff that you think you got to do and just become who Jesus wants you to become. See, some of you think you're in a holding pattern. You're not. You're in a preparing pattern. I remember thinking after I got married, Paul says, you know, you got all this stuff you got to deal with. I thought marriage was going to solve all my problems. I thought it would be so easy. You know, life was just going to be good, 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 good. And it is, but it was hard work. And I was thinking one day, because you don't say this stuff out loud when you've just been married a couple of months. I just thought, man, marriage is going to be, you know, it's going it's to change me. Well, it did. I had to grow up. Because he brings a whole new set of troubles, doesn't it? A whole new set of questions, things like, honey... Well, what exactly do you mean that I can't disappear every Saturday for seven hours and play basketball? <laughs> or what do you mean there are channels besides ESPN? That's all we get. <laughs> or, or I thought a place called the Pottery Barn would be a barn that sold inexpensive pottery, not overpriced furniture. Come on. <laughs> See, it, it just gives you a whole new set of questions, doesn't it? You've got to be real with who you are in Christ. Prepare yourself so that when that time comes for marriage, the adjustment won't be so great. Most people go, I'm just going to live and become who I am, and then when I get married, I'll start working on me and changing based on that other person. No, 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 no. Start now. See, the notion of a soulmate, I was reading this the other day, that it really has its roots in Platonic philosophy. I do not believe for one minute that there is one person for any person. Because if that was true, that would set up a domino effect of serious problems that at some point, nobody would probably be marrying the right person, if you really think about it. See, the Bible doesn't set up right and wrong person to marry. It talks about a right choice, a good choice, a wise choice versus a foolish choice. Because if you understand God's love, it transcends just a soulmate. You become that over time. In the biblical worldview, friends, there is not one right choice for marriage, but rather, you will make the choices based on wisdom, 
or foolishness. And as you look, I just want you to quickly consider four things. Number one, spiritual compatibility. Is God number one in this person's life if they're number one in your life? If you're not, don't go there. Don't think you're going to change them. Is there spiritual compatibility? Secondly, is the purpose and character compatibility? You can't compromise this area. Does this person have the character that you want? If you begin to see chinks in the armor during the dating time, don't go there. Because if, it's, if their character is at a, at, a, at, a, at a seven and it's really concerning you, it's probably going to drop to a six or a five, potentially, unless they're a person committed to growing with you as you get married. You can't negotiate these areas, loved ones. Thirdly, grow in emotional health. What do you mean, Pastor? Well, do you struggle now? Do you have areas of relational problems now? Like, are there things that keep bubbling to the surface at work? Are there things that keep bubbling to the surface in your family? Are there things that keep bubbling to the surface, same kinds of emotional issues, neediness or anger or whatever they are? Are those things in your life right now in those significant relationships in your life? If they are, guess what? They will be in your marriage. You will drag them in. And I can't challenge you enough to begin to go, I got to work on these now. I got to start becoming the person now that I want to marry and be married to and want them to have me. And if you have significant issues that keep bubbling to the surface now in relationships, those will become big problems in your marriage. Begin to develop your emotional and uh, spiritual and health right now. The the fourth one is verbal skills in communication. Proverbs 20 verse 5 says this, purposes in human mind are like deep water and the intelligent draw them out. Find places where you can develop your verbal skills now. This is the number one issue I deal with in marriage besides sexuality. People go, well, you know, I just, they don't want to talk anymore. And if you go into marriage unable to communicate, it will probably only get worse over time. Develop those skills now. And remember this, singles, it's not as much, it's just as much or more of becoming the right person as finding the right person. Begin to develop yourself now because know this, God is preparing you for what he's prepared for you. And let me close with this. Remember life's ultimate purpose. Paul says it in verses 32 and 35. All I want for you is to be able to develop a way of life in which you can spend plenty of time together with the master without a lot of distractions. Use this time to grow yourself. Augustine, one of the great thinkers of the early church, pastored church in Africa, He said this, Thou hast made us for thyself, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. Inside each one of us is this God-shaped void that can never be filled by anything or anyone ultimately. And singles, I challenge you with incredible love as a spiritual father. Keep verse 29 before you that you would say, Eternity is what it's all about. Get this. Never forget this. 
And I know you can say, well, Pastor, as the worship team comes, I know you could say, well, Pastor, you're happily married, blah, blah, blah. You're right, I am. But I came into this world as a single, and guess what? I and you are going to live eternity as singles. And that's part of keeping our perspective. Don't live for the moment. Remember, gals, guys give, uh, give, give love to get sex, while gals oftentimes do what? They give sex to get love, and then they left, they're left broken, hurt. Keep eternity in mind. Keep your perspective. God is preparing you for what he has prepared for you. Flashed across my TV screen Another broken heart comes into view I saw the pain and I turned my back Why can't I do the things I want to? I'm willing yet I'm so afraid You give me strength when I say I want to be your hand Everything I've got You can have everything I've got